Peter Schwitzer? Oh, yeah. It's the guy I listened to when I made my first billion. He's one clever son of a... Five. Four. We're online. The hottest internet station. It's time for The Switzer Show with the guy who makes getting richer easier than running up a credit card bill, Peter Switzer. Hello and welcome to The Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer and today we have a fantastic show ahead. As you know, we put this show together for three big reasons. We want you to be smarter, money wiser and more successful. And the people I'm talking to today are certainly going to make it very, very possible for you to achieve all three goals. First, we'll talk to the country manager of Airbnb. Now, what a business this has turned out to be. Uh, I've had some personal experience with uh, Airbnb, and it's quite surprised me just how good this operation is. We'll be talking to Sam coming up uh, pretty soon. Then we've got the legendary Jerry Harvey. Uh, Jerry's company reported last Friday. I interviewed him today, and I've you know basically asked him to tell me what he would say to his son and daughter if they said to him, hey, Dad, I want to be rich and successful. What's your advice? And then we've got a guy by the name of Matthew Mikhailovich, who his business Complexica Proprietary Limited won the uh, Innovation of the Year Award uh, for all Australian companies. And what he's come up with is quite an extraordinary use of artificial intelligence and algorithms, which is aimed at making all of your business practices just far more productive. What this guy's achieved will give us a bit of an insight into what the world will look like in, say, 5, 10, or 20 years. This guy is certainly ahead of the curve. So without any further ado, let's introduce Sam McDonough, who's the country manager for Airbnb in Australia and New Zealand. Sam, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks very much, Peter. Good to be here. Sam, you know, I've got to say I've had a bit of a personal brush with Airbnb, you know, following the time we met, I guess, a couple of years ago, um, both on my TV show and also at a function. And I've got to say, I'm very impressed with the business. Yeah, well, look, it's a, um, look, it's a wonderful business, uh, Peter, but it's certainly a whole lot more than that. And um, we, consider, we continue to see considerable growth. I mean, from its you know, very humble beginnings uh, nearly 10 years ago now, uh, Airbnb now has more than 5 million listings in 81,000 cities across 191 countries. And, um, and the thing with that is more than 300 million guests globally um, have stayed on Airbnb and had a, an overwhelmingly positive experience and they continue to tell the story um, and it's part of the, the growth engine sort of Airbnb and, and also here in Australia um, we've, we've seen uh, considerable growth. Let, let me cut to the, the bottom line which kind of impressed me more than I expected was that you, know, you, don't, you actually don't charge people a real lot for being your hosts on Airbnb. Like, I would have thought, you know, you guys would be in for 20% or something like that, but just give us a typical cost for when someone puts their place on Airbnb. 
Yeah, certainly. So for a host, and this is one of the things at Airbnb that we want to do is we want to we want to normalise hosting. And for us, to our vision is in a world where people can belong anywhere. Mm. Our challenge is actually acquiring more hosts, and certainly across Australia. So if I'm a host on Airbnb, and it's actually really really simple to become a host and list your property on Airbnb, um, we it's free to list, um, and we take three percent of the of the total cost. But part of that is. Um, the guest also pays a fee, but the host themselves, they only pay 3%. Yeah, that's the part that's staggering me, I've got to say. But also, the, the, the whole operation is, um, in a sense, because you've got, uh, on both sides, you've got reviews from the host of the customer, and then the customer reviews the host. Well, look, that's exactly right. So for us, um, the simultaneous review of... Um, um, of reviews is an important trust and safety measure for Airbnb. And of course, you can't leave a review on Airbnb unless you've actually stayed with a host. Um, and similarly, the double reveal um, from both the host and the guest is a really important trust and safety measure and one that we know um, works particularly well and it gives both the guest and the host comfort in knowing uh, um, who's going to come and stay with them. They're able to read the reviews of the um, of the host in particular for when a guest is choosing somewhere to stay, mm. and look, it's a um, it's a really important part of the um, of the magic of Airbnb. Yeah, it seems to me it, it ends up being win win because the host doesn't want to get a bad review, but if they they get to hear something they're not aware of, like for example, if they didn't know that a window was jammed and and no one can get it up, unless someone actually tells them that. They don't know. So the whole process to me is like constant improvement. But the funny thing I've found is that one person I know who's got an Airbnb place, um, one of the guests actually got down and cleaned the floor before she left, which I thought was someone really looking for a great review. Well, look, I think, you know, we, I mean, it's great to work in a, in a business or part of a, a movement where we get to hear these stories sort of every day. But mm. the one thing that... Um, you know, that probably is, uh, is typical of the story that you just shared there is, you know, quite often when people are staying, um, you know, in a hotel, they might, you know, just leave the, um, the towels on the floor and the, mm. um, the, the room in a mess. Uh, but with Airbnb, quite often um, we see people making the bed when they leave um, because, of course, they want to they get a good review. Um, from the host, and I think that's that's an interesting one. It is most definitely. Just Sam, while we're, we're talking, where where did Airbnb come from? What was the the first eureka moment somebody had that said, "Hey, this could be a business"? Uh, well, it's interesting. So Airbnb turned ten uh, just a couple of weeks ago, um, but it's interesting what's taken place sort of over time. So Airbnb launched um, in the apartment. Um, in the apartment of uh, Brian and Joe, uh, the uh, two of the co-founders of Airbnb in San Francisco, and it, it happened at a time when they were struggling to make the rent. Uh, there was a design conference coming into San Francisco that uh, that they were working as bloggers on, and um, they couldn't afford to pay their rent, but all the hotel rooms were booked out, and so they come up with this idea of airbed and breakfast. Mm. So they got a couple of air mattresses, they uh, they blew them up. Um, put them in their living room, and they had three guests, and then as a cat, a mole, and Michael. And those three guests stayed for five nights. Brian and Joe could afford to pay their rent, and that's that's where Airbnb was born. So mm-hmm. it was born around these big events. And we take the big cities of, of Australia, like Sydney and Melbourne, 
when there are big events that are coming to town, this represents a perfect opportunity for, for hosts who may have been considered hosting before to, to maybe open up their home to travellers and visitors um, to come and stay and experience what being a host is all about. Yeah, you must see that when Melbourne has um, the Grand Prix or the Melbourne Cup. Oh, look, that's exactly right. So whether it be the, um, the Grand Prix, Melbourne Cup coming up um, the first Tuesday in November or even in Sydney and Melbourne around uh, times like um, NRL and AFL Grand Final um, weekend where it's a, obviously a long weekend in, in both cities, uh, plenty going on um, and there's never been a better time to, to experience becoming a host when welcome travellers from another city or from around the world into your home. What about business? Is business taking up Airbnb as a, an alternative to, you know, putting up your staff in international hotels in capital cities? Well, we're actually seeing uh, business travel, or as we call it internally, Airbnb for work. Um, it's one of the fastest growing, if not the fastest growing segment um, on Airbnb. And business travel represents about 10% of all bookings on Airbnb today. Um, and it's actually grown about 300% in the last 12 months and 300% in the, in the 12 months prior to that. Um, and we're seeing, um, you know, the, the, uh, in fact, Airbnb has just completed an evolution of work report um, that has talked specifically about why Australians in particular are wanting to stay in Airbnb when they travel for work and whether that be um, the opportunity to work remotely, uh, the comforts of home um, when they're travelling or also, um, you know, being able to, to be a host or to travel um, and, you know, do what they they want from a passionate sort of perspective. And so what we're seeing now is that, um, you know, six in ten people prefer to stay in an Airbnb when they're travelling for work. Mm, that's quite extraordinary. So l- let me ask you this question because it's, you know, it's always been something that I'm interested in. How are you dealing with some councils who are copying pressure from, yeah, other people who live in areas where someone has decided to do an Airbnb. Yeah, so what we've seen right across Australia um, with our six states and, and two territories, um, regulations which we've been supportive of and continue to support, because we at Airbnb think regulation is a good thing. And the reason for that is the certainty and clarity that it provides, uh, not just for the hosts that want to share their homes, but also for guests when they're travelling. And so... Um, you know, in South Australia, Tasmania, just recently here in New South Wales, uh, the government has come up with um, some fair and progressive regulations which really um, support home sharing and the benefits that come uh, that come with that. And one of the reasons that um, we encourage these regulations, particularly at a state level, is when you bring it back down to local government, obviously state governments set the laws. Um, local governments are then faced with enforcing them and to the extent that you can have consistent regulations right across the state or for us here in Australia, right across the whole country, it makes it easier for people to understand and also for those local governments to, to enforce that. So the New South Wales state government here has done a really great job, similarly in Tasmania and South Australia. And so we think regulations are a good thing because of the certainty and the clarity that it provides for our hosts. Mm. What has been the, the central achievement of this regulation that other people out there who, who aren't aware of you know, what you're talking about would make them feel more comfortable if a, if a neighbour decides to, to do an Airbnb offering? Well, I think, what they, um, I think there's a couple of things. So firstly, the world continues to change and the way that people are travelling today is actually very similar than what they were doing um, even hundreds of years ago. 
uh, the thing that has changed is sort of technology. And I think as we as we um, look at Airbnb and the role that we're playing in some of these sorts of changes, you know, we want to we want to build this company and this business and this movement on an infinite timeline. So we're in this for the long term, and the the thing that I would say to neighbours um, of people that are sharing their homes on Airbnb is that Airbnb is here to help. Um, we want to be here and we want to support uh, local communities and we also want travel and tourism to be you know, sustainable and here for the long term and for everyone to benefit. Um, and so as part of that, um, we've got a number of tools that are in place that you know neighbours can contact us and share with us sort of the challenges that they may Maybe having and we'll take action. That's a really important thing. We've got um, a team of trust and safety um, uh, representatives that are on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that are here to help in if there are any issues um, for our hosts. But the thing that I would say that is that if Airbnb was a city, it would be the safest city in the world. Um, and you can host a home um, for probably the next 30 years without the need to contact sort of Airbnb sort of trust and safety because some of those things that you mentioned before about the, the simultaneous reveal of reviews from both hosts and guests um, are really sort of put in place. And um, the whilst things can sometimes go bad, those occurrences are extremely rare. And when they are, we certainly want to act and, and we'll do everything we can for the, the trust and safety of our community. Yeah, so I guess in your early days, there might have been, say, a, an apartment at Bondi where you get lots of travellers and and parties would be the go, of, particularly in the, the hot months of, of, um, of uh, Bondi. And, but now your ability to monitor that kind of apartment and then ensure that there's not repetitious, you know, mad uh, parties every night of the week. That is something that you guys are now able to control. Yeah, look, that's certainly right. But at the same time, we take the steps that we take ahead of that are really the, the more important ones. And so the, the checks and balances that we have in place. And also we know that um, the overwhelming majority of guests that are on the platform, well, they want to do the right thing. And part of that is they don't want to behave badly um, because that will mean it's more difficult for them to book on Airbnb in the future. Yeah, and uh, finally, Sam, when do you think Airbnb is going to list on the US stock market? Uh, well, I think um, I'm not sure it's any time sort of soon, um, Peter, unfortunately, but the um, the thing that we do know is that Airbnb is sort of on the record of saying that we want to uh, be ready uh, to become a public company and we're working hard uh, to make that happen, um, certainly sometime in the future. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's going to do pretty well given the acceptance of uh, both uh, hosts and, um, and guests as well. Uh, Sam, thanks for joining us on the program. Uh, thanks very much, Peter. That's Sam McDonough, who's the country manager for Airbnb in Australia and New Zealand, back after this little commercial. Okay. Now, don't forget, we've got the Switzer Listed Investment Conference coming up next week, 11th September in Brisbane, 12th of September in Melbourne, and the 13th of September in Sydney. Now, we're giving away free tickets to our listeners, so simply visit switzer.com.au slash event, click the Register Now button, select the event in your city, then click on the green tickets button and enter the promotional code 
P-O-D, capital P, capital O, capital D. So don't forget, this is going to be the listed investment conference, and we've got some of the smartest fund managers in the country who will be there to give you insights on how to pick good companies and to invest, and also they'll answer your questions. So don't forget, all happening next week. Switzer.com.au slash event. Welcome back. Now, earlier today, I had the great pleasure of interviewing Jerry Harvey, the founder of Harvey Norman, and they reported last week. And so I caught up with Jerry, and apart from you know, asking him a whole bunch of questions that will end up on my, my television show, Money Talks, I wanted to do something specially for my Switzer Money radio show listeners. And I thought, here's the question I'd put to Jerry. It was all around what he would give as an answer to his son or daughter if they ever asked him how they could become rich and successful. Take it away, Jerry. One, I'd say to them, it's not the most important thing in the world by a long way. To be happy and contented is far more important. And I've made a bit of a study of, of rich families, if you like, over the years. And there are not many instances of where you give the kid uh, a lot of money or a lot of goods, uh, you spoil them, that that kid comes out in front. Mm. Mostly they have big problems in their life, personal problems, from 30, 40, 50 onwards. And I'd say that would be in at least 80% of cases. There is a huge argument that you don't give your kids anything that they don't deserve and they have to fight a little bit for it, do it on, on their own merit, and, and then you, you're probably giving them a better chance to have a more fulfilling life. Do you think the rich families where you've noticed 80% having these sort of problems you're talking about have had a leadership problem in the sense that the parents haven't really led wisely and that has passed on the problem? I don't think, I think all of those parents love their kids mm. and I don't think they were doing anything other than, than what they thought was right. Mm. Um, I think that in retrospect, uh, they would look back at it. Unfortunately, most of them are dead. Mm. But, but if they could look back on it, they'd say, if I had my time again, I would not be so generous with my offspring. And, and because I didn't do them a favour. Mm. And, and um, it's, it's, it's quite hard to find a lot of people that come from very rich families, mm. uh, kids, that are, that are really fulfilled as human beings. Would you tell these young people to have goals? Are goals important? Yeah, I think it's important to have uh, a, a goal, and, and, but it, it's got, in my opinion, it's got nothing to do with being rich. Mm. It's got everything about achieving things in your life, about being happy, about having a peace of mind, um, and, and, and doing things that are examples to other people, um, and and that you can look back on your life and think, you know, it wasn't about money. It was about a lot of other things. And money was a byproduct, if, if, if that's what it has to be. But I think if you're bringing kids up and telling them they've got to be successful and you want them to be successful and make a lot of money, and that's the measure, right? I think you're crazy. Would you tell them to look around for mentors or older people who've got insights that can give them a competitive advantage? Yeah, sure. You've got to, you've got to do what you want to do. I've got four kids. 
mm. and none of them want to run Harvey Norman. Mm. Now, at, at no stage have I ever suggested to them or hoped or wished or prayed that they would run Harvey Norman, mm. OK? I, am, I don't believe in dynasties, and I think that everyone should try to fulfil their potential and, and if they can do that. So if you're saying to someone, you should, as a human being, fulfil your potential and, and, uh, and that should be a primary aim because you're only here once and you shouldn't waste that opportunity. And, and so there is nothing more important. Now, if that means you're going to be a minister of religion or a doctor or a dentist... Or a short seller. Or a short... No. <laughs> or, a, or a whatever, yeah. right? Or farmer, whatever. Just be the best you can be. Now, that, in nearly every case, is not going to be the best that someone else... You know, you're never going to be better than the other bloke, rare individual. But... You can strive for that, and at the end of the day, you can say, I wasn't the best, but I gave it my best shot. When people ask me, I often say, like, if you're in small business, I say, well, I think learning from legends and reading biographies, like, for example, I think uh, Losing My Virginity by Richard Branson was a great book. I, I learned a lot from like, mm. my business and also for personal drive. What do you think about reading biographies of successful people? Yeah, I've read a lot, mm. a lot, and, and trying to find the common denominator mm. um, and and I think I think that's difficult mm. <laughs> to try and find that common denominator because um, they're obviously very successful because they were driven mm. they they were driven to do that um, was it money that drove them there yes but was it more important was it I want to succeed and be the best at what I do. And as, as I'm getting to that goal, I can see myself reaching it. And, and so that became the, the, the driving force. And the money just happened on the side. Mm. Um, how important, because when I, I've, over the years I've talked to people like you for, for many years, in, people not necessarily like you, but... Same background. Like? It doesn't matter. Well, Branson's a case in point. Mark Burris, John yep. Simon, uh, Janine Alice, yes. all these people who yes. built businesses, yes. big brand names. Yes. And they all seem to me, and Edward Devane pointed out to me when I interviewed him many years ago, he said a lot of people like you and other successful people in all walks of life think outside the square. They look at whatever else is doing and they're continually prodding themselves. So, well, how can I do it differently? How can I therefore draw attention to myself and the business that I'm trying to grow. Has thinking outside the square been important to you, Jerry? I, I think the most, one of the most important things that I've realised is that you see someone doing something, you do it better than them. And that doesn't mean that you have to think outside the square that much, perhaps. You just have to apply yourself more to what could I do there to make what's in front of me better than, than the other guy's doing. And so I think, I think you can think outside the square, but I think it's just as important or more important to do it better than the other guy. Mm. 
Because benchmark yourself, benchmark off your rivals, the people you yes, can Yes, so, so when I've got a rival in retail, I look at them all and I think to myself, I want to be the best. I never think I want to be the second best. Now, if someone comes along and I, I think, holy hell, he or she is better than me. That organisation is doing a damn sight better job than I am. Is it because they're in the right sector and I'm in the wrong sector? Is it because they're smarter? Or is it in that period of time where they do well and that could change later on? All of these things. But so, you know, there are a number of retailers around I've met over the years that are fantastic. But the great majority are not. Luckily for me, because I wouldn't be where I am if, if they weren't a little inferior. You know, I mean, I'm just bloody lucky that they weren't. Would you... I know you have young people who work in um, Harvey Norman and you like to bring them on because you think that they could be potential leaders in the business mm. in the future and whatever. Would you tell a young person not to be afraid to invest either time or money in becoming better? You know, you know learning stuff. Like, if you've got salespeople here, do you actually make sure they do training courses so they become better at sales or does it, ha does it happen organically, magically? No, no. The, the one thing I say to every young person that works for me, because we're looking for stars all the time, I, this nothing gives me more pleasure than at the end of an, a week or a month or a year I found one, two, three, how many potential stars, people, you are better than all of them. And so they're mainly better because they have spent a fair amount of time um, mixing with the right people. And that's one of the first questions I ask if you're a young person here and you're doing really well. Say I see a store where the sales are up 30%, I'll pick up the phone, who are you? Mm. And, and I say, okay, next question, who have you worked with? Mm. And, and nearly always they've worked with people I know that are really good. Mm. And if they ask me what advice would I give them, my advice to them always is where do you work? Now I'll give you the names of three or four people you should spend time with because you will learn from them yeah. and, 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 and use them as a sounding board or as a mentor or whatever and, and, and talk to them and th because when you talk to someone that's really good at something and that person realises that you are really they will nearly always tell you. Um, but if you're not interested, they'll pick up on that and probably yeah. discard you. So, you know, it's, it's one of the most pleasing things in my business is where I see people that have come from nowhere and they're earning a lot of money or they're running one of our big organisations and that sort of thing. And I think, wow, you know, this is very satisfying. Yeah because you're seeing people that achieve an awful lot and you know that your organisation took them there. Okay. Now, I know you get distracted by dairy farms and racehorses and building your, your breeding empire, but when you were really building the name Jerry Harvey, was it all about retail? Was it like 24-7 focus on becoming the best retailer in the country. Because I, I, I often look at people and think, you're not dedicating enough time to your, your goal for success as an accountant or a doctor, or you're kind of part-time. Were you full-time, Jerry, on the way up? 
There was a, a time in my life where, in, from 35 to 40, mm. where I was spending a lot more time with horses than I was with retail. Mm. And then, at age 42, when we started Harvey Norman after Norman Ross, I decided then I would discard everything practically. Mm. So the horses went down there and I just concentrated on retail. And I often ask myself, do I give this 100%? And the answer is no. Um, That's now, but then? No, never. Because right? I always think to myself, um, what about if I tried harder? And I tried hard, but it's never hard enough. So from my point of view, I, I always let myself down a bit. And, and yet I know I've put in a bigger effort, if you like, than most people, nearly everyone. Mm. Um, and, but I'm still not happy with that. Mm. So if I said to you, I gave it 100%, right? I never gave it 100%. Mm. I'd like to have given it 100%. I'd like to do that tomorrow. But in fact, you never do. None but, of us do. But is that the advice, if someone can give 100% to their, their life goal, whatever it might be, no. that would probably give you the result you want? No, because the thing is, you're never going to give it 100%. No one ever does. And, and you, 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 you think to yourself, what about if I did? Mm. How much better could I do? And then you say to yourself, well, you've reached a peak, you know, like mm. we have with our sales right at the moment in Australia with Harvey Norman. That's not good enough. Mm. Okay? I know we're flatlining. I'm not happy about that. Can it be better? Of course it can. And we could go up another 10%, right? But the only one thing that stops us, the quality of our people, right? Mm. If I could clone the top 10 or 20% of our people, I can increase my business 10% tomorrow without any trouble. And, and that, I spend more time on that than anything else. Quality of individual, trying to put the right people in the right places, to get the right result. Last question, how does someone impress you? I think people that give their best and they're decent, honest, good people. So if someone's a good person and, and they care about other people um, and they try to help other people and they're the leaders in their field and so it doesn't matter whether they're a gardener or a doctor or a politician or whatever they are. Um, to me, they're the people that, that make the world go round and, and they're the people I'd spend more time with than anyone else. Well, that, of course, was Jerry Harvey. I don't think he needs any introduction whatsoever. A very distinctive man. Giving you some insights which I think really should help you think about the ways in which you can achieve what you really want to achieve. Now, without any further ado, let's go to another ad break. And now, a word from our sponsors. Have you got a home loan? Do you know what you're being charged? Check your rate and if it's more than 3.89%, call us at Switzer Home Loans. Our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. That's right, 3.89% is all you'll pay. Interested? Call 1300 664 339 or Google Switzer Home Loans. Now, here's Switzy. 
Now, before I introduce my next guest, I should just throw one little thing in, purely for, I guess, ASIC consistent reasons. When our wonderful voiceover lady talked about Switzer Home Loans, she said we're 3.89%. That's our advertise rate, and that's also our comparison rate. When you advertise home loans, you should be saying both advertise and comparison rates. You'll notice that our advertise rate and our comparison rate are exactly the same because we don't add on any fees or charges to make make a difference happen. Be careful when you are looking at home loans. Make sure you find out what the comparison rate is because I've seen a 3.6% home loan become a 4.1% comparison rate home loan. So always check the comparison rate. Now, let's go to my next guest. His name is Matthew Mikhailovich. Uh, Matthew um, started an IT company in the USA and floated it on the NASDAQ and then decided he wanted to run away from the big, bad, scary world of the USA and then move to a sleepy little city called Adelaide where he and his family are very, very happy but he couldn't give up his IT ways and so he started a business there called Complexica Proprietary Limited which is an artificial intelligence business all around software. And lo and behold, only recently, his business was named the 2018 Australian Innovation of the Year Award winner. Uh, So to catch up with Matthew to see what this great business of his is doing, we gave him a call. Well, I'm going to give him a call in a moment and he'll be sharing his insights with you. Hello. Hi there, Matt. Peter Switzer. Is that Peter? It is. How are you? Hey, very good. Good to hear your voice. How are you? Fantastic, mate. And it's good to hear your voice. And, you know, I just realized who your voice sounds like. T- I, tell me. Well, um, have you seen that um, Quentin Tarantino film, Inglorious Bastards? Is that the one with the World War Two with Brad yeah. Pitt? Yeah. Yep, yep. Yes. Yes, and, yes. and and you got the same voice as the bad guy in that, who is a great, <laughs> who is a great, who is a great actor, and uh, only recently, I hope I hope we're taping this. Are we taping this? Yeah, we are taping this. I, recently, with that Jerry Seinfeld program, you know, comedians in cars getting coffee, they interviewed that guy, yeah. and he's a great actor, fantastic actor. He's actually an Austrian. He's not like you're sure of Polish wow. extract, but. Your voice in here is very similar. I, I will watch it again today, <laughs> and I will pay particular acoustic attention and see if I can line it up. Though. Yeah. No, no one has ever, uh, they said my voice was unique. You're the yeah. first to say it sounds like somebody else's. <laughs> well, that's right, but that guy's got a unique voice. He's a great actor as well. Um, and you should, if you haven't seen Seinfeld's Comedians in Cast. No, I haven't seen it. I've Great series, great, and, uh, and, and they've uh, interviewed all the great comedians of the USA, but they also, he's a, he's a kind of a comical actor, and that's why he got, he got a Guernsey, but very interesting guy. Mm, I, I will definitely watch it, I promise. Okay, but let's get back to why I'm talking to you, mate, um, and I hope some of my listeners agree with me that your voice is like that guy, and remember, he's a great actor, don't worry about the roles he plays, but, but <laughs> you've got an interesting character in your life called Larry, who in the hell is Larry? Yes, yes. We, we created uh, at Complexica a digital analyst. And the reason behind it is there's so much 
data, information, noise in the world that it's difficult for business people to make decisions or to make um, good decisions, effective decisions. There's so much information that we've got to um, analyze all the data, take data from one place, another, look at what competitors are doing, search things online, put it all together and try to make a decision. So we created a digital analyst that could do all of that for sales and marketing people, supply chain people, and in business settings, help them make better decisions in almost real time. So it's, it, it came, uh, Peter, from an inspiration. Wouldn't it be great to have your own analyst working for you, mm. always crunching the numbers, looking at the data, your customers, and giving you suggestions on what to do? So, so could someone like, for example, a fund manager employ Larry to help him pick the best stocks and, and a lot, or even, even analyze the stocks that he's got so he, he gets to see stuff that he might not see as a human being? Yes, uh, anything that you can uh, train a machine to do, Larry can do. So some things we found that are, are difficult or impossible to train machines to do when people do things by gut feel, by intuition, by feeling, and so forth. So you can't convey and train uh, a machine on how to do those things because that person that does them even has a difficult time of explaining it themselves. But if you can uh, say, look, we uh, analyze stocks for these things. We look at PE ratios and and uh, earnings per share and how they're changing and growth yeah. factors and dividends, et cetera. So all the things that we're looking at this universe of markets and typically we manually analyze these things, then yes, absolutely. You train Larry to do them and he becomes your digital analyst to automate all that manual work. Because yeah, it seems to me that you know, even if you put in, say, 100 indicators that really need to be looked at, and they're all of different import levels of importance, but you want to know, uh, and, you, and you rank those uh, indicators in terms of importance, you could get a, an interesting list of, of stocks that maybe might need closer attention where you, you can put your gut interpretation on that small little list of potentially worrying companies. Absolutely. So mm. the, what's happening in all sectors in the world is that there's an enormous amount of dashboards, analytics, reports, data, analysis, but there's not enough action. There's not enough uh, recommendations. There's not enough good decisions. Mm. So the whole idea is could we automate all of this complexity around analyzing data, extracting it, and so forth, and help humans deal with outliers, uh, help them deal with abnormalities, things that require attention, things mm. that uh, look uh, you know, against the pattern or differently from the way it should. So I, I, I feel when I talk to business people, everyone says that the world today is faster more dynamic, more complex, and noisier than it was, say, 10, 20 years ago. And by that same token, we can assume that the world in 10 or 20 years from now will be even faster, even more dynamic, even more noisier. And, uh, and, and you, you will have to resort to technology to make sense of it, to be able to make good decisions. And, and, and you're right, because every year the amount of data that we're exposed to and we're involved in is extraordinary. It is growing exponentially. And so something like this looks yes. like a fantastic little machine to, to cope with that. Uh, who are you? Can you yes. name some of your key customers in Australia at this point in time? 
uh, Pfizer, Medcash, uh, Dulux, uh, Banzel, Treasury Wine Estates, uh, Pernod Ricard, which you would know their um, wine mm. brands like Jacobs Creeks and others. Mm. It's typically bigger customers that have complexity in their operation. They've got lots of customers. They've got lots of data, a lot of salespeople, marketing, and they're making a lot of complex decisions on almost a daily basis. And adding technology like this has a huge value-adding effect for them. Okay, so Matthew... Um do you have many rivals in the world doing this? Oh, I, I, I think my view always on uh, the competitive landscape is that your competitive advantage is only time. Hmm. Uh, the automation of complex analysis is inevitable. It's logical. It makes sense. Just like a calculator helped us move away from pen and paper, a spreadsheet was an advanced version of a calculator where we could put formulas and do more advanced things. And now you have a more advanced computational version of even that that helps us look at external data, unstructured data, textual data, and so forth. So I feel like as the world progresses in sophistication and what you've mentioned, explosion in data, everyone's going to be working on ways to automate the analysis so they can actually function properly in a business and make good decisions. Have you had a chance to read Ray Dalio's book called Principles? No, no, no I haven't. Well, you'd love it because Dalio is arguably one of the best investors in the world, you know, Warren Buffett and Dalio in sort of the, the same kind of class and his company is Bridgewater yes. uh, Associates. Uh, he admitted that in the, I think in the 80s, he uh, made a, a decision based on his analysis of all the economic data that a, a serious economic problem was coming and he told all his clients to get out of the market and uh, along came the central bank boss, I think it was uh, Volcker, who just made a different decision and all of a sudden his guess on the future was totally wrong, and he he nearly went bankrupt. You know, he he had to wow. you know he had to move his firm into his apartment in New York, and I think he had to borrow money from his dad and all that sort of stuff. Uh, nowadays, he's he's managing billions and billions of dollars, and he believes the turning point for him was when he understood how he could use um, um, uh, what you're you're using effectively. Um, What's the term I'm, I'm searching for? And uh, come on, I'm, I'm pr pr predictive analytics or predictive uh, models. Yeah, or, yeah. So basically, that that kind. Of, uh, you know, it's the it's the technical term for for a recipe. Come on, you've got mm, an algorithm. Algorithm, exactly. I knew it was an yeah. A word. He said, by actually, <laughs> see, caught live on radio having a, a dad moment. But listen. <laughs> The, the, what he said was he was able to put all the things that he thought thinks is really important for making judgment calls on stocks and markets and what, all that sort of stuff was into an algorithm, and the algorithm could do more than what his brain could do. And he believed as a consequence of that, it explained a lot of his success and why he thought he was more bulletproof today than he was back in the 80s. Oh, well, it'll be the first book that I uh, pick up, and that uh, makes an enormous amount of sense, uh, what he said in that book and what, mm. what you've uh, repeated. It's, mm. uh, yeah, and I can't wait to read it. Yeah, apart from the fact that I forgot the word algorithm, but still, it does show that <laughs> yeah, I am a normal person at times. So, so where do we go That's with this? Right. You've won the award. You know, where do you go? Do you, do you start thinking, um, am I, I going to list this company so I can get the capital to yeah. really grow it, or what? what's the, the next steps? 
Yes, as you know, uh, Peter, I'm a big believer in goal setting and having uh, uh, objectives and kind of a vision for the future. So from the beginning of Complexico, we wanted to create a company that we could float on the ASX, Mm. that it could become part of the Australian landscape, the business landscape, that God willing, it could be, you know, one of those buildings in Sydney, Melbourne that has uh, its logo on the top, Mm. employs thousands of people and represents advanced technologies of Australia, where graduates can aspire to work and work on really leading edge technologies that are patented and and world class so our plan from now towards a listing which might be three or four years in the future is uh, international expansion opening offices in london then new york and san francisco mm. uh, global deployments into our customer base then getting uh, analyst coverage so there's all these things you have to do uh, to build a, a global uh, software business. And you, and I know what all those th- things are, but as you know, they're hard work and a lot of uh, hours uh, and trips and people's effort go into executing those activities. So we're well on our way and awards like this, not only do they recognize our customers and our staff and all the effort that goes into it, but they help with the overseas expansion to show that the technology is world-class. Yep, exactly right. And, and and I should say to all my listeners, just note just how humble those goals are. <laughs> they are extraordinary. <laughs> they are extraordinary goals. And I'm not surprised. I know you will. Share with us uh, and our listeners the name of the book that you, you put out, well, it must be, what, six or seven years ago, which was a great book. Yeah. It was life. Yeah, so... Life at half a second. So it was a distillment of all the things that uh, are research-based that drive success. And there were five factors, and one of them is goal setting. So it's proven that companies, people, individuals, or groups, or divisions with clearly defined goals typically outperform companies, groups of people, or individuals without clearly defined goals. It just helps focus you. It helps with decision-making. It helps with uh, even motivating yourself on a daily basis, understanding why you're doing all these hard things day in, day out. Mm. So, uh, so I'm definitely following my own uh, recipe, and, uh, and it is extraordinarily difficult and hard, but the progress uh, is extremely rewarding that we're making, and it's satisfying to know that you're doing something meaningful and significant. And it's also important for my listeners to understand that you've been inspired by two really important people. One is your wonderful wife, and also Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> that's that's right. So when you said uh, um, how humble my goals were, look at his his goals when he was young were even humbler. They they were to be the you know best bodybuilder in the world, the highest paid actor, and to be the president of the United States. You know mm. th- th- those were humble goals. <laughs> that's right. that's awesome. And of course you you wanted to copy him, but you realized you just and you did a lot of weightlifting, but you also realized you a you didn't have the the the, the structural structural body genetics yes. the genetics correct and you see you, you, you've helped me with words all the way through this interview and and also you you just couldn't get the same assistance that he had yes my but my parents are uh, doctors but they're phds they're not the kind that can write prescriptions unfortunately and a, a lot of prescription writing is involved at the at the higher echelons of that sport yeah, without a doubt <laughs> now mate it's been a great pleasure you're a fantastic addition to this wonderful country and I'm really proud of of what you achieved and uh, and if anyone wants to know more they go to your website of course but also I recommend they buy that book of yours life in half a second thanks very much thank you Peter I'm humbled by your praise and thanks for having me cheers mate so that's Matthew Michalowicz from Complexica 
Well, that's the show for today. Thanks for joining us. As you can see, some of the most inspirational people imaginable have been on the show and uh, some of the great businesses. I'll see you next week.